Welcome to So You Think You Can Belto. I'm Jessica Harper, a soprano and hot beverage enthusiast based in Antwerp. And I'm Jeremy Bolton, a coffee-obsessed lyric baritone based in Munich. (laughs) Jeremy and I have created this podcast to empower emerging artists across Australia and the world with access to the direct knowledge and relayed experiences of operatic artists and practitioners. We aim to help inform emerging artists with this podcast resource and to hold a mirror to the opera system so that artists can make their own individually informed decisions about auditions, competitions, engagements and more. You'll hear everything from in-depth artist interviews to long-form panel discussions on topics concerning emerging artists. Welcome back to So You Think You Can Belto. My name is Jessica Harper. I'm a soprano and hot beverage enthusiast and I'm here talking to the wonderful Helena Dix. Helena, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, Jess? I'm very well. Thank you. I've, uh, I'm a little vocally tired this afternoon because I've been interviewing and practicing today. <laughs> but actually, it makes you sound a little bit more saucy. So I'm loving the. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, loving the commentator voice. Great. Oh, that's great. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> I'll, I'll recast myself as Carmen from now on. Get my cigarette girl. <laughs> Why not? Uh, amazing. Okay, so you are. One of the most amazing singers from Australia uh, that we have at the moment and you've recently had an absolutely incredible uh, experience at the Metropolitan Opera, jumping in uh, as Norma and then doing uh, one of their broadcasts, which was obviously one of the coolest things to uh, to see as a person who consumes your social media. But before <laughs> we get into all of that cool stuff, could you take me all the way back to the beginning and tell me how you got where you are today, essentially. Oh, gosh, how long have you got? Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, I always love singing. I always love the spotlight, you know, the little, <laughs> little footlight fanny from an early age, you know. My best mate and I, we'd put on concerts every weekend and I would, like, push her to the back and my mum said, Helena, you're horrible. Why would you do that? I said, mum, she needs to be – she's my backup dancer. Like, I'm the lead singer. Like, this is what it's all about, okay? And my mum said from that day on she knew that, like, something was going to happen, you know, like, obviously. <laughs> we would plan these concerts every weekend and, and – you know, I do programs and then I got a bit older and I started to get a bit more curious about things. So then I would start like making afternoon tea for my mum for the interval and I charging her for, for food and charging her for her own food. So there was a little bit of like, would Helena go into business instead of singing? But actually, no, I mean, you know, I think those skills definitely come in handy in some ways. But um, so, yeah, so yeah. always loved singing. I was in the Australian Girls Choir for many years. I started touring with them from age 11. But at that time I was like, I'm a bit of Mariah Carey and I'm a bit of Aretha Franklin. Like, I don't know which way I'm going to go, but I'm feeling both. You know, I felt the, like high notes. And then I felt the, the, the hoochie mama kind of of Aretha as well. And, um, I thought that that's, you know, I would go in one of those directions. And then, um, basically the head of the choir, Judith Curphy recommended a singing teacher, which was their patron, Margaret Nisbet, uh, my, my Mm -hmm. mentor and teacher who recently passed away. Mm -hmm. And, um, she said, darling, I think you should come and have some singing lessons. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay. You know, and, and I was 15 at the time. I thought I was pretty awesome. I clearly wasn't. Um, and we, I went for my first ever singing lesson and she said, have you ever thought about opera? And and I went, you know, because it got about as classical as it got in my house was Tom Jones, Barbara Streisand, which, hey, 
you know, don't knock it, but it's cert- there was certainly no classical music growing up in, in my home. So it was something beyond my understanding. And, you know, I thought I was pretty ace as it was. So like, why would I need to do classical music? Right. So, <laughs> um, and I said, well, you know, we can try, but I don't think so. Like I, you know, I used to love to use my chess voice and she mm-hmm. said, okay, so we're going to have a couple of house rules. Here's the first rule. The first rule is no chess voice. I'm like, excuse me. My eyebrows like literally went to the ceiling and she's like, second rule is no singing, no, no actual songs we're only going to work on technique until I feel that you're ready to start on a song and of course telling 15 year old like miss thing that we weren't going to sing any songs I was like who does who does this woman think she is like seriously you know and she opened up her little book of magic and she said to me right darling we're going to take a deep breath and we're going to just count on on one note and I was like oh I got this in the bag you know one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve like thinking I'm like awesome (laughs) and uh and I got to something ridiculous you know like 17 or something pathetic and she went "Mm mm-hmm and she kind of wrote it in the book and I said well well is that good clearly thinking it was and I said well what do you get you know full of full of full of everything what do you what score do you get and she just turned to me and she smiled and she said 162 and I went (laughs) and from then on she had me hooked because what happened was my personality was very much based on loving a challenge so for me it was just like oh, I can't do it, therefore I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And and she picked that up in me and she was fantastic with me and she she had that beautiful balance of, of discipline but also the desire to be better and she really tapped in on that with me and that's been a very long-standing tradition in my life and in my, you know, training and in the way I view the, the career and everything is if I, wa- I always want it to be better. I don't feel bad about it being not so good. I really, I, I thrive on that. So that's where it started. And then I did my undergraduate at the Melbourne Conservatorium. Then I decided that the Australian market was great and I did all the comps and all the, all the estate mm-hmm. and everything. And, but I decided that, you know, it was time to weigh myself up against the rest of the world rather than just, you know, rather than just my little pond. And it was a really big deal for me to leave home. I'm, I'm a total mummy's girl, total family girl. Everyone placed bets on how long I'd last overseas. Like it was like a running joke amongst the family. <laughs> um, you know, some people bet on like six weeks. Some people kind of went with, you know, the course the course that I went on, which was two years. I came over to London and haggled my way into um, a full scholarship at the Royal Academy of Music. And Amazing. Um, you know, played the colleges all off against each other, much to my naivety at the time um, as for a scholarship because it really, one offered me one and then I went to the next one and I'd say, well, they offered me this, but I really want to come here. And then they'd Mm -hmm. say, oh, well, we'll offer you this and a little bit extra. And I really played and I, I, I looking back I was so foolish but you know that's okay like we, we make these decisions but it worked it worked in my favor and then I did the postgrad uh the Royal Academy of Music uh the opera course there absolutely loved it and um then kind of got out into into the world of freelance singing as they say and uh I guess the rest is the rest is history so the long steady climb up the mountain to, to where we are today. Wow, that's amazing. That's, yeah, well, and good on you as well for proving those who doubted you at home wrong and just sticking to your guns. That's, I mean, I suppose it's it's a little, not, not easier per se, but it's when you have a master's degree to do or postgraduate, you know, that's how, was that two years, your degree? 
Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my four year bachelor in, in Melbourne and then two year post grad in London. Yeah. Yep. Gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it, that's enough time to settle somewhere as well and kind of, you know, and keep you distracted as well. You don't get so, uh, what's the word I want? You know, you don't have so, so much of a, a crisis about being away from home. I think when you're being kept that busy from that's what true. I understand, that's they keep very you very true, busy. Yeah, they do. And and I think I cried myself to sleep for about a week mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't understand British people at all when I first arrived. <laughs> I, I was so tormented. I got on the tube on my first literally off 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 from the plane, got on the tube uh, on the Heathrow train and I I saw a guy reading a newspaper. It was early morning and I went, Morning like this. And mm. and he kind of like put down his newspaper very slowly and glared at me across the newspaper. <laughs> it's like seven in the morning or something, and he said you're obviously not from here. We don't talk to each other on the train in the morning. And then he put it, he put his newspaper back up and I took my finger and I put it on his newspaper. I slowly moved the newspaper down and he looked at me as if I just committed the worst sin in the world. And I said, well, where I'm from, we do. And so I just wanted to say good morning like this. Wow. And he's just so angry at me. And it was, I was like, brilliant. Welcome to Britain. Good job. Yeah. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, and it was, uh, I lived in a student house you know in a small room uh you know I'd gone from a beautiful house with my mom and 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 everything to this tiny room in in central London and it just like like shocked you know uh I mean I'm a strong personality but I have to say the first bit was really tough I cried every night and then I Mm. like I would laugh at myself too like I'd cry and then my brother's words would come back and my brother said to me my big brother said to me you know Helena I know the world is a really big place and it will feel even bigger when you're away from home. But you've got to remember that home, if you call Melbourne your home always, that home is always just one flight away. You know, it's always just a day away. And really, at the end of the day, it feels like far, but actually in, in the grand scheme of everything, you know, in the olden days, you'd have to catch a boat and it would take ages or whatever. And she, he said, now you can yeah. get on a plane and be home in a day. And he said, you have to always remember that when you're having your low days. And I think that got me through that first bit quite a lot, as well as reverse call, reverse charge calling my mother, like intensely. <laughs> um, and then, and then I, I managed, as you said, once, once I kicked off with the course and met new people and met my kind of people, I was thriving and, mm. and then I was off and, and it was okay. Yeah. Did you find, uh, that's all, that's all so true. And thank you for sharing as well how hard it actually was for you because I think so many of us when we make the the leap across the equator we sort of think it'll be all right I'll 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 find my feet and then I'll find (laughs) a a master's or a young artist program or a job or whatever and then it'll be fine but that is so true for so many people is that they get across the ocean and they kind of sit alone or or they don't have enough social or they don't have enough uh, work or enough anything happening because of course it takes a lot of time to establish yourself and they just kind of think what am I doing I could go home and be a secretary and earn absolutely heaps of money. Like you look at your yeah. you look at your school friends you look at people you've grown up with and they're all yeah. in you know full-time jobs with sensible things and getting <laughs> houses and you're like I'm I'm across the other side of the world on my own dealing with people who won't even say hi to me because of their stupid newspaper and their and their <laughs> early morning grumpiness, you know. Um, yeah. So, no, it is. It's, it, gosh, and I think that's one thing about our career. I think it proves so it, – it, it throws so many – challenges at you good and bad and Mm. and it's so character building and people say oh you know it's character building and you learn the good way and the hard way and you do and and that that first step 
is is it's so frightening like it doesn't mm. ma- it doesn't matter what who you are or how tough you are or who you think you are you know it doesn't matter whether you're coming to an english speaking culture or another language or obviously when you go to a, a country that speaks another language that's another you know that's another thing altogether but one of the things that i've learned so much from from working all around the world is as well as being a singer you get to know really heavily when you travel with singing how every culture really works differently lives differently approaches the craft differently yeah. you know and 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 so yeah you're in an english speaking country but it's it's different there are different obviously so many big differences about everything when you first arrive and you and you find so many parts of yourself that you didn't kind of think you had previously yeah. You know, I thought I was really tough. And then, you know, crying myself to sleep every day. I was like, who am I? What is going on here? You know, and all of a sudden you learn that you are vulnerable and that you are, you know, and that this is a big move and it is, it's a lot to give up for what you love to do. And, and so, and then therefore the time after that is the, is the make or break period, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about what you found were sort of the key differences uh in studying obviously you're studying postgrad at the royal academy so it's Mm -hmm. already you're going up a step anyway from a bachelor's degree but was there a gap in knowledge that you felt you had to fill having done your bachelor's degree in australia or did you feel quite well equipped uh i think when i came into it i wasn't sure how to feel because i thought you know in australia we think we're awesome and we're in this small little pond where you know and i was at melbourne so that's an even smaller pond again and i was very taken care of and i knew everyone and it was like you know only 30 people in my year level and i was on scholarship and it was all great and everyone knew who i was and you you kind of mm. went you kind of you, you base base things off that when you when you obviously when you come overseas you're rating yourself up against people from all around the world at the royal academy of course in the post-grad opera course they have people from all over the world that apply so in our year level we had people from everywhere and you're really getting the best of the best from all these countries coming in and you're putting mm. yourself up against them not that you're having to compete with them at this at you know in a post-grad but in a way it is it's it's a, for me it was important I wanted to see how I rated against people my age or against people who were at the stage I was and to see so that was a little bit terrifying I found that I was better equipped than I thought I would be um mm-hmm. but uh, I, I guess there were surprises as well and I think surprises came in the feeling of others sometimes towards international people not not in a horrible way but there were some british people you know in in the course who who felt very resentful of international people who came in and got scholarship money for instance and and wow. and they they actually said that to me and and they're, they're people that i'm friends with you know still but mm. they said to me they said yeah it's hot you, know, you guys just come in here and you you take this scholarship money and it's not available to locals. It's an international funding. And I went, yeah, but you do realize that um, we have to pay three times as much to go yeah. here as you do, right? <laughs> I was just like... to say that, yeah. <laughs> so no. there was a little bit of, I found that kind of conflict and, and, and honesty very interesting. And I found uh, the coming together of different cultures in, in a course in itself very interesting, how people approach the workload, how people approach you know, obviously in these post-grade opera courses, they put on operas, like a couple of operas a year, how they go about casting those things, how people feel about that, whether you're a someone who gets cast in a big role or a small role or these things. And again, how that how that then plays to your friendships in the in the year level as well yeah. is is really interesting. I will never forget our first day 
in in our drama cl- class and we had the the gorgeous John Ramster who was our drama instructor and we all got up on stage and we barely knew each other and he said right everyone grab a chair like, okay and I'm like yeah I can do that I can grab a chair we <laughs> grab a chair and he's like right now I want you to pretend you're making love to the chair and I want you to stroke the chair but I want you to eyeball someone else on the stage so you're having to really connect with them like by looking and I want you to make noises and I want you to look like you know you're, you're pleasuring the chair and that you're enjoying yourself but I want you to never not look at someone and you don't have to look at the same person you can change the, the views and I was like holy crap right so yeah, and yeah, you know yeah, you've got yeah. people from different cultures and different stages and obviously different abilities and different ages and all this kind of stuff coming together for the first I mean talk about an icebreaker but the comedy was (laughs) we were doing this this ridiculous but wonderful exercise and the principal of the entire academy walks in with a guest and you can hear them coming through the auditorium he's saying oh this is the creme de la creme of the academy this is our opera students and they are just absolutely you know the best of the best from around the world and you could hear them coming down meanwhile we're like ah like on these chairs and <laughs> everyone just the best. <laughs> everyone just seized up and just got really nervous for a moment we all just looked at each other and our coach went carry on Mm-hmm. And and so we had to keep going, and these very Brit- these very British people kind of came and went. Ah, uh, right. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, we're just uh, <laughs> we're just going to move on. And uh, yes, I just yeah. I, I, I ushered out of the auditorium. But actually, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that was such a great icebreaker experience. We all just collapsed into laughter, like when they when they left, because it was mm. just so out there. But it was like day one, off you mm. go, like no, yeah. you know, no fear, like just yeah, yeah. you know, show it all. And I remember, um, for me, one of the hardest things was that uh, we did opera scenes. That was the first things we did was opera scenes. And the same man who I who I love and adore said to me, "You know, Helena, you know, you play, you play." so confident and you you've got all this confidence about you and stuff he said but I don't really believe that you show any of your vulnerability and at that time you know when you when you've just traveled across the world and and you're trying to put up all your all your walls to be strong he wanted to break them down like completely Mm. and and it was so confronting and he said to me he said you what you show the audience is a facade you know you, you you're you're acting it you're not really showing us the vulnerability of of you and and this was a a scene from Traviata with Violetta and Jamon and, and he's like I just really want you to show us a bit more of what's under here and oh my god like when when I tried that and and I wanted to give 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 what I could to that I, it was I was a mess you know we were just like mm. there's so much crying and I think people I think people sometimes forget that you know these kind of monumental moves that we make or the monumental decisions that we make and the and the fears that we overcome we often hold a lot of it and then for someone artistic to go you know what I don't want to I, I want to see everything I want you to bear everything and I think when people talk about great singers or great performances or what they remember for me, when I walk into the theatre and see a performance that is vulnerable and that does show some kind of personal something, that they're putting a little bit of themselves on the line, albeit that they've rehearsed it and then built it up so that it's comfortable and they're not obviously, mm. you know, not in a vulnerable position per se. But to show mm. a little bit of that as a performer, I think is is a groundbreaking revolution to me. And it was something that... I thought I was equipped because I was confident and I, I, because I could do it and I felt good about it. And then someone to rip that apart and to mm. say, well, actually that's not real. 
but if you are able to bring this then the audience will really feel you and it will they'll really be with you and I thought oh and you know at the time I was like hi gee I've just dealt with coming across here like I I don't need someone to then say that to me and I was I was a wreck I was like oh then then I started again and all of a sudden I learned what crime was you know but (laughs) it was immensely therapeutic actually and it was done in a very um productive and supportive way it wasn't done to you know it wasn't done to rip me apart it was done you know and of course we all go through moments in the industry where people do come at you for for far more horrible reasons but actually that advice and that training ground uh, for me was absolutely imperative and something that I learned early on and that was tricky but but yeah but great it's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I love sure. that. Yeah, we all have yeah moments like that. I can think of a few <laughs> in my own my own history as well. You think, okay, well, I guess we're all friends forever now. But uh, it's um, I'd love to know what happened after you finished your masters. What was your first sort of gig? Big like big gig. I kind of potted around for quite a little bit because. Vocally, I was in a bit of an odd place um, when I finished at college. I kind mm. of, I, 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 I was improving as a singer the whole time, but I didn't really feel like I had a, a slot or a focus as to exactly where I wanted to go. I got a mm. manager, which was great, um, and I did a lot of, uh, you know, the kind of festivaly gigs in England and 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 went around and did you know things like West Greenhouse and like things like in the summer where they have young singers in and I got a lot of I did little tours I did tours up to Scotland and did some Mozart roles and things like that with those companies um Cosi Fan Tutte, Don Giovanni like those kinds of things like all very mm. safe repertoire perfect, perfect. and then um I guess my my first international was um going to Lübeck in Germany and doing Domineo and that really started to open up you know more doors for me and uh, obviously with the German seasons they're so long and you get to do so many shows and you know and then the director for that she happened to be the assistant festival director of Wexford and uh and she they were doing this wonderful bel canto opera called Cristina Regina di Svezia Mm -hmm. and they had cast it and then the soprano came in and wasn't able to get through it. Then they cast it for a second time. And then that soprano came in and did a workshop with the musical director who went, yeah, nah. And and he said, we, we're we going to really struggle to find someone. And she said, well, she, I don't know whether she could, but, you know, this is, this is the lady that I worked with in Germany. And so, hey, why not? They, they, they FedExed me the score. They crewed me the score. And I laughed. Like, I literally laughed when I opened it. I was like, who, who could sing this? Like, it's, it's, this is madness. Like, I, I don't, you know, there's no wonder this opera is never done. And it was, it was obviously a very, I mean, Foroni died very young. And so he didn't get to do a lot, but he, it was obviously for someone particular in mind and there's only one recording of it in the world. And I had a listen and I was like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. So I create, I, I, I was about to go to Australia at the time and um, I got to Melbourne and I contacted uh, Rosie Ling and I said, Hey Ros, do you know any good Balcanto coaches, you know, in Melbourne? And she said, Raymond Lawrence, who's mm. now the musical director of um, Melbourne Opera. And I went to Ray with this Christina score and he's like, Oh, this is incredible. And yes, you have to say yes. And we, we workshop through it. And I agreed and I went in with only 
uh, it was like only four weeks to go until they started rehearsals or something mm-hmm. cra- crazy. And really for me, that was the turning point in my career because I took on something that it was like do or die, you know, mm. and um, not only because it was difficult, but the the structure of how the opera is leaves quite a big, like a 20 minute duet at the end. And it's after you've sung already quite a lot. And it was like stamina and all those things. And Things that I guess I'd never really done bel canto before, but I but I certainly loved it, and there yeah, that was really it was the turning point for me. And and I, I mean the character was extraordinary. We had an extraordinary team. I mean, still probably to this day my favorite team that I've ever had. And wow. it was just one of those moments where you go, oh my god, like this is the best thing in the world. Like I, you know, I I, I I've always loved my job, but this is literally like the best thing in the world. And I remember in one particular rehearsal, one of my bass baritone, he was playing like my confidant in the opera, the political confidant kind of thing. And it was based on a true story of, of Christina, Queen of Sweden, who ruled from, you know, a child through. And it was like, like it was very empowering as a story as well. And we were in the rehearsal and I was giving everything and he was standing up facing me in this rehearsal. And we had the orchestra and everything. It was, it was an orchestral rehearsal. And all of a sudden it was his turn to sing and he just stood there and he's just like, he just stood there and he just looked at me and the conductor stops. And he's like, hello, hello. <laughs> he's like, are you going to come in or like, David, what's going on? And he's like, I'm, I'm so sorry. But he's like, just listen to this, like, listen to this stuff. Listen mm. to what she's singing. He's like, I, I can't even, he's like, it's so amazing. And we're all so swept up in the story and in the music and, mm. and, and everything. And I remember David Agler, who was in charge of Wexford at the time saying to me, now your toughest crowd is going to be the dress rehearsal audience because in Wexford as a community, these people have been part of the festival all their lives, their families' lives. They're all, you know, we give them right. all these, the, so all for the dress rehearsal, all these volunteers come who, who run the town basically at this time. They're amazing people and mm. speeding generations of people, you know, and he said, they're going to be your toughest crowd. And mm. at the end of the, the thing they all just stood and he he was he was at the side of the stage and he was in tears and I said in in a typical Australian way I went oh come on David it wasn't that bad (laughs) and 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 he just he looked at me and he was like I've very rarely seen that happen and he said Helena Hmm. he said I didn't think we were even going to do this opera because I just didn't understand and believe in it but you have just you know, mm. brought this to, to life and, you know, we all just felt so proud. And for me that was a real turning point because I learnt about bel canto, well, for the first time yeah. and and really started to find a niche for myself that that I just felt so connected to on so many levels, you know, vocally, emotionally, physically, everything. So that was really the journey turning point for me, I think, career-wise. That's amazing. And it's so – how what a, what a gift to – to find that love a bit can't or, but also in an opera that isn't, you know, I mean, like, you know, sure, Norma is beautiful, right? You know, Lucia di Lamamor is beautiful. We all know this, but when it's something that is not done so often, you can really switch on a part of your brain. That's that's really, really special. And you, like you an learn, incredible experience. I learned that with Belcanto, especially, that I could make it mine, you know, that I could mm. really craft it in a way because that's what Belcanto is all about, about the beauty of of your individualism and um and I I wasn't as brave then as I am now to do things but you know it was still that it felt very liberating I felt very mm-hmm. liberated to be able to play with that and I learned so many things about 
my voice and what it could do and and in in itself that was super super liberating and I think my my world really changed from then I I knew I loved what I did and I knew I was always that's that's always been my direction and my focus but again like I said to you at the beginning when my teacher first said to me do you want to do this and because I couldn't do it I loved it more because I had to work for it it was the same with this school this school was extraordinary and I was like oh well you'd have to be crazy to agree to this yes that's me okay fantastic (laughs) let's go for it feel seen yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah incredible okay so that's brilliant okay and then you had um, you've worked a lot in the UK and a lot in Europe as well, but I'd like to fast forward, if I may now, to covering at the Met and then mm-hmm. being asked to go on and then being mm-hmm. asked to do one of the broadcasts. Can you please elaborate on that experience for me? <laughs> so quite a few years ago now I was in the finals of the Wagner competition in Seattle. Um, I was the only um, uh, non-American that was in the finals when Spate was still in charge and I got to and this was at a time I was exploring early Wagner as well and thinking maybe I would go down that route I wasn't sure um, uh, the lovely Nicholas Braithwaite uh, Maestro Braithwaite he put me forward for this competition they heard me in London they brought me to settle and so in the audience that night was uh, head of casting for the Met uh, Lenore Rosenberg and she kind of connected with my manager and she said look you know, I don't have anything particular to offer, but I really liked what Helena did because it's very different from what we do with Wagner over here. And um, I think she should come and have a sing for us. So basically that's what mm. I did. I went and uh, went over to New York and just did a general audition. And I thought I was going to throw up like probably <laughs> every, like once every like Reasonable 10 minutes. Response. I was like, oh, oh. and, uh, but actually it is single-handedly like my favorite audition ever because she was this, I mean, she's retired now, but Lenore was this, you know, very strong Jewish lady, Jewish American New Yorker who just knew what she wanted, doesn't mess around. And she had me in the auditorium and, and I, I, I sang uh, Christina ironically. And she was like, what is that? And I, I told her about Wexford and about everything. And she said, listen, that's really great. Uh, if you've got Ernani and I thought Ernani would be like the, the thing she wouldn't choose because it was so similar to what I just mm. done. And I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So I sing Ardani and she just sits there. And you know, the thing is I'm, I'm used to British panels and British panels are just like no expression <laughs> at all. You know, thank you so much. Have a good day. You know, all the rest of it. And you're like, yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Good luck to your family. Um, anyway. <laughs> so whereas she just went, she, I literally finished Ardani and she looked at me and she cocked her head to one side and she said, I like you. <laughs> and and I went well that's good because I speak very highly of you as well and she she chuckled and she said what are you doing tomorrow and I said uh coming back and and I kind of looked at her very cheekily and and I said actually I said I'm I'm busy shopping <clears throat> tomorrow and she she laughed and she said no no I'd like the head of music to uh to hear you sing and uh, she's like, I want you to come back and, you know, I, I want you to sing for him because I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure of a couple of things. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I, I like the top. I like the bottom. The middle, I'm not so sure. I just want to, I want him to hear it. I want him to see what he thinks. And, uh, but I like you. And I was like, good. This is a good start. Thank you. And I said to her, <laughs> I'll definitely come back tomorrow. But I said, I've almost thrown up six times today. So thank you for making me go through all that again tomorrow. And she, <laughs> she kind of like laughed, but it was just so 
humane and to the point and and yeah. she didn't she, i mean most people would be like oh she said my bit it was terrible you know but but i didn't i was like no that's cool like great like i'm i'm on the page yeah. i understand so i walked in and i met um craig Rodenberg, who's again he's he's reti- he's retired now but at the time he was the music director and we just got along like a house on fire and mm. and we were by the piano we were just singing a whole lot of stuff and he said do you know do you know why you're here I said yeah Lenore thinks my middle's crap and he just <laughs> roared with laughter and he said you see he said I love having Australians around he said mm. that is just he said that's just great and um he said she didn't quite word it like that though kiddo and I said no I, I know but um yeah and we, we kind of went through a couple of things and he asked me a couple of technical questions and then he said to me, I like you a lot. I think we're going to be friends for a long time. And he said, and furthermore, he said, I think we're going to have a long career with you here at the Metropolitan Opera. And he said, so as far as I'm concerned, you're hired. And I kind of, I was staying with a friend of mine um, at the time and I went back to her living room, but I was still kind of, you know, in disbelief about everything, oh, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. And and uh, Lenore got in touch straight away. She said, we've just had a cover pull out of Ernani. Uh, for next season and she said listen in the olden days what we used to do was we would take on singers like you she said because she said I'm going to be honest with you she said you don't sing like modern singers do you Mm -hmm. sing like they used to sing and she said Mm -hmm. and to me she said that's worth investing in so Mm -hmm. she said if I can give you all the great coachings all the great you know working with great music people directors and everything and if we can have you cover, she said, because I know you've got the balls to go on, but mm. at the same time, we need to invest in you because this is what we used to do in the olden days. We would invest in singers like yourself, not just in a young artist program, but in the sense of actually putting them into the industry and giving them all the tools that they need to feel confident to, to be at our house and to be at the level that we need you to be. So she's like, I would love you to cover Ernani, uh, Elvira. And that was my first job. And um and I said to her, I remember after a couple of years of working there, because after that I got to work there every year, and they they would always hire me for covers, you know, and then I got to make my debut in 2019. I was Alice and Falstaff. Mm-hmm. I got to negotiate that. And then, yeah, fast forward, and, of course, the, the Norma thing happened. But I remember saying to her when she was around, why me, you know, like, there are so many fantastic. I mean, not that I'm complaining, but you, you know, you're paying, you're, you're paying for me to come across here, and I'm, I'm curious. And she said, "Well, you know, people can be mouthy and say that they're all that, and people can be like, oh, I'm confident, and people can feel like they're confident." She said, "But you've got to have the tools, you've got to have the technique, and you've got to have what inside of you something that goes, I can do this." She said, "Because covering at this house is is probably one of the most terrifying things anyone will will ever do because." It is likely that at any time you could be called on. And she said, and I mean any time. So, and that's been the kind of process. And I've covered the most incredible roles there. You know, I, I've done, you know, I've I've done Clemenza di Tito, I've done Idomeneo, but I've done all the bel canto, you know, so I'd, I'd already covered Norma, I'd done Semiramide, Ernani, Robota de Verreur, you know, all these things. And then making my debut as, as Alice, um, and then obviously leading up to this experience that I've had recently with Norma. So that's kind of been the journey. And then Norma was uh, a revival production that I'd already covered once. I had uh, at the Metropolitan Opera as an as a as a whole is a very difficult 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 place to work mm-hmm. on a personal level for any artist. It is for so many reasons it it can be absolutely terrifying and very difficult uh 
to get along and to work there as 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 an individual and I have had very positive experiences always musically always mm. and 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 the coaches and the language people and you know and and you know working with I mean I've covered Sonja Radnovsky many times who I love and adore we've become very good friends you know um I've covered um Elsa van der Heever quite a few times again who I love and adore you know so I I've and, and I love immersing myself in all of that. Mm. But there's a very interesting mindset about being a cover at a place mm. like that. And it's very, very, very different from anywhere else. I've never covered anywhere else in the world. I've always said that that would be the only place that I would cover. And I covered there to learn and to and to immerse myself. In. Well, yeah, Obviously. and if you're getting the coachings with the – Absolutely. I mean, you know, phenomenal. it's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely phenomenal. And – but you have to be of a certain personality. It is, it's, it's tricky. And, and the, the only negative experience I've ever had there was with the Norma that, that I originally did. And that was quite a few years ago. So when they asked me and they, they rang my, ma- my manager and they said, look, we'd like Helena back for this production. And I actually said, okay, are there certain people on this production? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, no. And I said, well, then I'm in, but if that changes, I'm really sorry, but I'm just not. I'm just not putting myself through that again. And uh, and I said, so if you want me, and and then they begged me to do something else, and I said, no, 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 no. This is this is enough now. This is enough covering. It's enough. You know, I've I've really done my done my part. I've had my debut, but for Norma, I was willing to come back and and cover. You know, because I was like, well, it's Norma, and it's it's a role that I, yeah, I I absolutely love. And and they said, look, we really need you. We can't specify exactly why, but we really, really need you. We need someone like you in and on the production. So um, yes, and without going into details, it became it became apparent as to why. But uh, I got to to do a lot of the rehearsal period. Um, a lot of the time, I would get a call maybe ten minutes before. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hope you're staying I, close by. <laughs> I was. Sorry, I'm in Queens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be there uh, in in the end, I just assumed that every day that I would be doing something, mm. and and the way it works wow. there is that the covers rehearse both with with the with the with the team and of course separately as well with our assistant conductor and everything as well. So, uh, it was a bit of a balance for everybody involved, and uh, I got twenty seven minutes notice for the Zitz probe, and so I went and did that, and that was pretty cool and awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I got to go on for two of the shows uh, in the final part of the run. So I did a Wednesday night. I found that out um, in quite a bit of time. But the Sunday matinee, which was the international broadcast around the world, that started at 12 and I found out at five minutes to nine. Um, and I was told the night before that it was unlikely that I'd be needed. But I thought, mm. Mm. Uh, so I got up at like 6.30 in the morning and I did my pre-show, everything that I would do pre-show, which I did every show anyway, but, but I'm such a nerd, you know, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, like I was going on every time because I oh. thought, well, who's, who's going to lose if you're, if I'm not, if I'm not ready or if I'm rushing or it's yeah. only going to be me. So, you know, I got up at 6.30, I did my, my kickboxing, I ate what I'd eat, you know, I had showers, I steamed, I did like all the things that I would, you know, all the things that I would do before a show. And then I knew I'd be ready and rolling. And so it was so. And then they rang me and they were like, where are you? How are you? Do you want, do you need us to come get you? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm actually ready to walk down to work now anyway. 
um, I'm pretty much prepared. So they're all very happy with that. And and I'd already done it on the Wednesday night, which was brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Because even though I'd done a lot of the rehearsals, they hadn't given us time on stage. Mm. And so, and, and actually because it was a revival, they got very little time on stage. So they only had one day of piano dress, one day of orchestral dress, and then they were on because it was yeah. a revival production. It was a very limited time. Mm. Um, and, you know, and that meant that obviously she she did those rehearsals and that meant that things like I had to like on the Wednesday night they're like come with us and the, the 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 staff and the people with you are like the best humans in the world I mean they literally have it's like a village I mean they are literally come with us come on mm. come on this way this way this way they just guide you and they're great but at one point she's like come with me and we went down in a lift and I was like, oh, because the, the stage comes up from the basement. And I was like, oh, cool, I get to go down in a lift. And then she's like, right, now we're climbing down this ladder. And the ladder like drops just like down like this. And I've got this huge gown on and and uh, like, you know, it's all bowed and everything. I'm like, I'm sorry, what now? And, and you know, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, these are things I was not expecting, you know, to happen. And so the singing part become ends up becoming like the easy part the easy of, bit, of yeah. The, yeah exactly and when they uh, the, uh, they suspended me on this platform for Casta Diva at the very beginning and I remember the original production when Sandra was doing it and I, I said to Sandra at the time I said I I get I get nervous for her when she was doing it like every time she came up I'd be like Whoa! If mm. I had to do that, I'd pass out. Yeah, eat my words, right? <laughs> uh, and you know, and it, it's extraordinary. And all of a sudden, you're up on this thing, and you've got nothing to hang on to, and you're you've climbed up this like thing, and you you're there, and you've got and you my legs were jelly, and you know, mm. and and you just think, gosh, these are the things that people don't understand about jump ons and things, especially you know when. You know, you're like, oh, I didn't know that I had an issue being suspended at the top of the theatre with such a great height, but now I do. Now I know, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. There's so, the limit. We found it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Wow. But because I'd been on already on the Wednesday, wow. I, yeah, even though I just had a couple of hours notice, I was just, my head was really in the game and I was I was able to go on and uh, the radio team said to me, uh, for the broadcast that came in, they're like, oh, Mystics, um, can we interview you at the interval or will you need to just, you know, because you, you've had a very traumatic morning so far. I was like, yeah, bring it on, you know, no problem. So they came in and interviewed me in my in my, in my my robe and, and my wig and I'm like, Pfft. I said, I'm not getting changed because I'm warm, but you can come in. Like, that's absolutely fine. I'll be in my robe. And and mm-hmm. uh, and they were like, cool, okay, fine. We, we, they didn't expect the leading the leading diva to, to behave like that, I don't think. So, um, <laughs> but again, the Australian in me went, yeah, she'll be right. You know, like it's, it's right. all good. Yeah, she'll be right. <laughs> uh, and uh, I have to say, I think I think the thing I can take from this the most. I had Michael Spies was the tenor with me in that production, and he's just extraordinary as far as I'm concerned. And we were doing the big section at the end of Norma together, the big duets and everything. And I looked across at him at one point, and I actually had a moment to enjoy it. Like I actually had a moment where I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah. Like you know, I was <laughs> like, I, I kind of I heard my voice out in the auditorium. I looked at him and 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 the beauty that he was giving to the scene as well, and it was just a really brief moment where, because we we don't often get to have those moments, do we? We don't often get to enjoy in the moment. You can re- you can reflect on it, but in the moment, you're obviously so involved, especially for something like a jump in. You know, you're so involved and so stressed and all. But I actually allowed myself just briefly to have a moment where I went, "Oh my god, like this is every dream I have ever had in my life." 
with Michael Spires on the Met stage, like, oh my God. And I cried so much afterwards, you know, like I got out and I walked home in the rain. Like I, I signed all these fan things and then I had all these people like messaging me like, oh my God, we're, we're only up to act two, but we're listening from England. And, but there was no one there. Like no, none of my fr- my friends had all come on the Wednesday night. A lot of my friends were out of town and I didn't know anyone. And that was the weirdest feeling to, to, to have done that and to get off the stage and be like, oh, I've got no one to share that with. But in a way, the beauty of the broadcast, the beauty of people all around the world and everything, I had everyone to share it with. I just didn't physically have anyone, you know, there. And I remember signing all the autographs and then walking away and being like, oh, I'm a bit, and then I went, no, Helena, the greatest that you can enjoy this for you, for you. Like you have, you have worked so freaking hard to get here. You are allowed to enjoy it. You don't have to, you don't have to speak to anyone else. You can just say, I walked home in the rain, the rain literally like, like I didn't take a taxi. I literally just walked home. It was pissing with rain. I didn't have an umbrella. It was like the movies, you know, I get home and I'm like dripping with water and I'm like crying happy tears. I'm like, oh my God, I just have it. You know, and then I rang my husband, a video chat, my husband who was listening to it in, in England and they were only up to like halfway. And he's like, why are you crying? Are you okay? Was it that bad? It doesn't sound that bad. And I was like, bless you. Lucky you said that. <laughs> Lucky you said that or there would be a divorce. Um, and, and I said to him, I just said to him, I was like, I am so happy I'm so happy right now. I'm so beside myself with, I just, I'm just, you know, all of this shit and all of the the greatness, everything together combined, the, 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 the hardships, the sacrifice, the, like everything for that moment. I said to him, I could retire now. I'm not going to, obviously. I said, <laughs> but, but I genuinely could retire happy because I said that was like the most kick-ass moment of my life. Like, and, and I said, and it's okay to be proud of yourself. Yes. It's okay to be proud of you. I say this to young singers that I work with all the time. It's all right to be proud of yourself sometimes because we work so hard at improving all the time and we work through so many criticisms. And I'm like, you know what? You've got to enjoy your own space sometimes and go, hey, you know what, me? Good job. That's yep. okay. That's okay. So that was a, that was a, that was a, that's okay. Good job, me kind of moment. I'm not going to lie. And then my mum said, what did you do to celebrate? I said, I bought the biggest pizza in the world, pepperoni pizza, and had a can of Diet Coke. I don't drink alcohol. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. But pepperoni pizza and Coke, because I obviously be very careful what I eat and drink, like, through the production. I was like, it was the best thing ever. And I sat and watched the most ridiculous television, and I had to turn my phone off because my phone was going absolutely mental. And I literally, I turned everything off, and I just sat sat with myself and watched trashy, crappy television, ate, like, the the best New York pizza, and I was just like, you know what? This is this is this is life. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So amazing. I love it. Well, I mean, I'd love to uh, hear more of your feelings on sort of the when you're traveling alone and doing you know doing a production on your own. I I really felt that when I was in Dresden because we had a month to work on this piece. Uh, because it was a new work, so we had heaps of – it wasn't finished when we started working. Gotcha. So we, we were learning it all together and, you know, I was I was by myself and whatever. Great time at rehearsals and the cast was really social. We went on um, bushwalks and stuff together. But I found I got really lonely, which really surprised me. I did not expect that at all. So, I mean, do you – is that something when your husband's not with you? I presume sometimes he travels with you, sometimes he doesn't. Is that something you also struggle with? 
I think it, I think absolutely. I think everyone would struggle with that. You know, I, mm. I, I, and, and I think it happens at every level. I mean, I've got friends right at the top who we chat about that on a regular, you know, yeah. um, I, it's a tricky one because you need that kind of balance between being really on in the rehearsal room and with your colleagues yeah. and, and everything. And you need that time out, but you're right. It's really lonely. It's a really lonely existence. And for those people who are traveling all the time without their partners or without their family or, you know, because they can't make that. I mean, my husband hardly ever comes with me. Um, he used to be able to do it more when he was a freelance, but now he's in a fixed job and that becomes very difficult. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's, it's really tricky. I guess I'm very grateful for, you know, the internet, for Wi-Fi, for, 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 for FaceTime, for, you know, all these things, but it still doesn't necessarily fill that slot of having someone in front of you and, mm. You know, so what I what I do, very Helena, kind of typical Helena thing is that I tend to go and make friends with people in the city. Like, like for instance, the bank where I'm in New York, I have a bank that I bank with. I just made friends with the bank manager. And so I would do things like if I had an afternoon off, I'd just pass by the bank and I'd go grab a Starbucks and I'd bring it across to her and we'd have a bit of a, ch- a ch- chill and a chat and a laugh and a giggle. Because for me personally, I find that, speaking to people outside of what I'm doing is what I crave. I crave just a little mm. bit of like the world still carries on Helena outside the opera room, you know. Mm. The muggles, they know so yeah. much. <laughs> so I tend to be, I, t- I, I do silly things like that, like a local food place. I'll make friends with someone and I'll, you know, I'll just go in every other day and chat with them or, you know, mm. or, or someone in the building or, you know, something like that where wherever I'm staying or just yeah, just just people that are not connected with what I'm doing, um, and that I find that that helps. And I find that um, I find that I guess in life, I think it's important to not put. My mum always used to say, "Don't put all your eggs in one basket." And I'm like, "Oh my god, mum, that's that's." But she's so right in the sense of I have a really huge variety of friends, and every every one of them that's super important to me is important in a different way. And I like to reach out to people, different people for different things in my life. Like I know if something goes on with my family, there are certain friends that know my family that I can talk to them. Or if something goes on in the industry, I wouldn't chat to my husband about it in general, unless it's, you know, really, you know, I tend to just chat to my colleagues about it because they understand and they get it. Whereas my husband, I'll be, I'll talk about, you know, what, how I'm feeling personally or, you know, and I find that having that network of people to reach out to, is just really helpful when you're feeling mm. low because there are people that I would reach out to maybe when I'm a bit lonely that maybe I wouldn't chat to on a regular, you know, but yeah, that, yeah. that just they either get it. Like I find a lot of people who a lot of singers get it, you know, mm. or and I don't necessarily want to talk to them about singing at that time. Mm. Um, but I know that um, like Jamie Barton's one of my one of my very good mates in the industry and we've talked about it on many an occasion and she says the same thing. She's like I make really random friends in cities that I travel to to sing and those people actually become like part of my kind of traveling family mm. because then there's a little bit of familiarity and of course it helps if you're going back to cities to work you know obviously that you've been working in uh but yeah it can be tough absolutely and I think we all cope with that in in different ways but I find that by having a couple of people on the ground that are nothing to do with what I'm doing like just random people that I make friends with uh that helps and and also just having a community of people helps which is hard because obviously you have to keep in touch with 
a lot of different people in order to mm. have a community and you don't always get the time to do that but I make the time to do that because I I find that Brava. they help me they help me in life greatly yeah that's amazing that's really good to know thank you so much I'd love to know so you you know you've worked in lots of corners of the earth mm-hmm. is there anything that you've experienced during your career that's sort of a symptom of a wider problem in the opera world and is it anything that you wish you could change or will change along your path to world domination kind of thing (laughs) uh look I think I think the things that we encounter are probably things that people encounter in a lot of corners of life Mm -hmm. not just opera I do think I do think in the last five to ten years we've made leaps and bounds on equality and on not putting up with bullying in the workplace and and Mm. all these things but there is still a lot of old-fashioned there's still a lot of old-fashioned mentality when it comes to opera and and Mm. and I find that obviously the the older the uh suspected individual who has a better name for things you know they these people are still working and they're still Mm. treating people as they shouldn't but they still Mm. get away with it Mm. um and I find that (sighs) I find that as an Australian and and I don't know whether other Aussies feel this I, I guess I'm fortunate I'm an Aussie but I'm also a bit of a feisty Aussie I guess so for me even when I was building up my career, there were things that happened that weren't right or that I didn't agree with or, you know, things that would happen in the workplace where I'd go, nah, you know. Mm. And I know a lot of people maybe don't have as much vigour to say something as I do, but I've always Mm. felt very strongly about putting my opinion forward no matter what. Mm, And that's because, you know, I feel that uh, I don't care who you are or what you're doing. And don't get me wrong, people have treated me badly and they've gotten away with it and that's fine, that's life and that, you know, it's not fine, but that's life and and we we all go through it. But I Mm. mean like really inappropriate, you know, to the point of like where you're like, oh, no, this is, no, this, you know. And... I remember a particular case, a contract that I was working on, the particular director was uh, known to be ever so slightly bonkers uh, but got away with it because apparently they were a genius and, you know, uh, when they were younger they were insane and actually diagnosed as clinically insane and um, to the point of, like, burning down their own set and being caught, you know, like they didn't even know they'd done it, like really kind of quite, you know, heroic gestures, like good on you. Um, And and I I went into this particular production late and my colleague wrote to me and we'd never met before and he said, I'm looking forward to you arriving. I said, why is that? He said, this person is eh, batshit crazy. Like there is some stuff going on here that is like extraordinary and sometimes lost in translation as well. Uh, and the, we, we worked with a translator because it was in Germany that this happened and we worked with a translator and, and she a couple of times she was like, I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So we got to like the thing, the, the ironic part is said director absolutely loved me, but but they, they were off the charts you know mm. I mean I mean hissy fits in the middle of rehearsal throwing things calling people names like picking on people like I mean extraordinary but for some reason I got it I got by okay until we had our final dress rehearsal that we we're getting our notes and I got told like one new thing to put into opening night which was the next night two three four five it got to like 12 new things and in the end I'm just like 
not suggestions, not improvements. I mean, like totally new things. Oh, so I la- mm-hmm. I laughed and I said, I said to said director, and said director said to me, why are you laughing? Like very abruptly. Why are you laughing? I said, I'm sorry. I said, but I'm a soprano. Like there's only so much like brain room, like in, in mm-hmm. upstairs up here. <laughs> and as much as I'd love to remember all these new changes that you're going to make before tomorrow night, I can't guarantee you that all of these things are going to happen. I, and I laughed again. I said, but, you know, I, I'm only human, but I will try. And and they said, are oh, you stupid? You effing idiot. You blah, blah. And they, they got very aggressive. I asked them to lower their voices. They wouldn't. So I just got my bag and I left. I just got up and I said, I don't need to be spoken to like that. And I just walked out and the management followed me. And they're like, oh, you're not Frau Dixon. You know, I, I was so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, you know what he's like. And I said, no, no, no. You know what he's like. And you're allowing him to behave like that. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. said, it's not only to me, it's been to, been to a whole host of people. I said, the difference between them and me is I won't put up with it. Mm-hmm. I said, my opening night is tomorrow. If you want me to do a good job, then, then I'm not sitting in there and being spoken to in that in that manner. So unless you as management, like, agree to do something about it, which you're not because you're spineless, I said, I'm going to go home. And if you've got any other notes, I said, I can tell you where you can put the notes and that's not on my, <laughs> not on my list. And uh, But in some kind of, like, odd way, I was respected for it, mm. you know. And he came up to me, like, you know, on opening night and we got rave reviews and everyone loved it and whatever and, and he kind of whispered something very inappropriate to my ear at the party, and I laughed at him. And I just, I just, I literally just laughed and, and, and went, <laughs> and he said, "You, he's, you heard me." And I was like, "Yes, yes, I well and truly heard you. Thank you. Just, mm-hmm. I just don't want to, you know, and and don't, don't want to hear what you're saying, and and kind of like, you know, blanked it off. But I know a lot of people wouldn't have been able to deal with it the way that I dealt with it, and wouldn't have felt empowered to be able to do that. So yes, yeah. so I feel like. You know, there's there's always going to be in our industry a clash of egos. There's always going to be a fine line between art and acceptability, like what's accepting and mm. uh, how far you can go. And I also think, and I don't mean to be rude to the generation of young singers that are going to come up through because I think, again, that we've made a lot of progress. But mm. I think that we've also, in that progress, there's also been a lot of like little wallflowers, little delicate wallflowers that have yes. developed. And I think so I think there's got to be a happy medium between mm. the old way and the new way. And I think some of the young singers that I meet are so ridiculously like, oh, you can't say that to me or did you just criticise me or whatever. And I say to them all the time, I'm like, guys, like I get it. Like I, I, I appreciate that you want to protect yourself but there's mm. a point which you are being ridiculous like you're mm. not going to get you're not going to be able to create anything with that attitude you're not going to be able to you know so there's a real mm. I, I think that's the fine line that we still have in the industry here and now that kind of old and new coming together and finding the right balance so that we can still make exciting things happen and and but do it so that everyone's comfortable without people being ridiculous and obviously without people bullying but on the on the flip side without people being so sensitive that you can't then create anything either totally yeah no i, I it's, it's something i i learned definitely moving from australia where people are quite uh not waffly but often they'll talk around a point before they get to the point when they're trying mm-hmm. to give you feedback and in Germany, I worked with a few coaches. And, the, you know, Germans in particular are very straight talking. Yep. And I have this great coach who I love and adore. And once I was, you know, I was whatever, for whatever reason wasn't singing super well that day. And he said, yeah, you know, you sound like shit today. <laughs> and 
what I've been can, told how, that a few how times. How shall we fix this? You know, and then and we just you know, and it turned out it was probably t- tongue tension or something. You know, it usually yeah. is. Um, and but I just sort of thought, okay, that was actually so refreshing that instead of spending twenty minutes talking around this issue, he was he just said, "You're not singing optimally. Let's fix it." Yeah, you know, great. Which yeah. is yeah, and I mean, I, it's yeah, early twenties me might have taken that badly but thankfully it was late 20s me who yeah. was a lot more we've capable all been of there. seeing it for we've what it was. all <laughs> been there when someone says something and we're of course we're all sensitive we're artists you know as part of yeah. what we do and and it's a part we're so vulnerable as singers and and part of you know part of who we are is is there on the you know but i but i do think in the sense of the industry and where that's at i think that's our biggest challenge moving forward of mm. of of young singers coming up who are just ridiculously like sensitive and mm. then Old, you know, older people in the industry who don't have any sensitivity at all, right. you know, kind of coming together. And it's, it's a stereotype. I appreciate that, but, but it's still very prevalent in, in both ends. And I know that as a, as a mentor to young singers. Mm-hmm. And I know that as someone who's working in the industry myself, so it's, um, and different, you know, different nationalities and the way that they yes, approach absolutely. things too. Yeah, absolutely. So do you do much mentoring? Is that through uh, officially through your your role as a fellow with the Royal Academy of Music or do you also have a private studio? No, I I, when COVID hit and and all those hardships started, I kind of decided to set up my own international studio on Zoom. And because it was like teaching online and stuff was a new concept for me. I during the pandemic, I ran an online masterclass. I, I, I took um, submissions from all around the world and and I got people to come up with a, a kind of fun video and, and stuff and they sent it to me and then I picked six finalists and I put them into a masterclass and we had people from all around the world like entering that and I got to like work with them mm-hmm. and um, I did a bit of mentoring with them and then I did a, a live online masterclass with them because I wanted to keep things alive. I wanted to keep people feeling p- passionate and I, and I knew firsthand how, how hard that was for people you know so I've always worked with young people I used to be when I was in my early days here in London I became the singing teacher at a high school here and then I became head of singing there and so I was there for like 11 years and I was balancing that out because of course you need another job when you're starting out I mean that's just Mm. stupid to say that you just sing um especially in England like it doesn't work like that you know it's not like Germany where you can go onto a contract or anything mm-hmm. um so you do you need another job and so that I was teaching and I'd be teaching and and I'd be like flying to Germany you know in and out of Germany doing shows I'd be teaching a full day flying to Germany sleeping in a hotel that night doing a show the next day sleeping at the airport that night flying back at like six o'clock in the morning and going straight back into school and mm-hmm. that was a lot that was that was my life for quite a few years you know mm-hmm. in and out of Europe teaching at the same time, you know, spending extra time on the weekends at school if I had to do other shows or whatever, you know, the school were obviously very understanding and then it got to a point where they weren't. But, you know, mm. you know, it was a great life. I was very fortunate to have that that opportunity to have a balance between both lives, uh, mm. which was much needed financially to be able to live. And, yeah. and yeah. yeah. Fascinating. That's a, yeah, no, thank you. That's a really good point to bring up. Sometimes we forget how long we have to sort of do work the other the other jobs as well as the singing jobs so it's oh absolutely yeah. and now and nowadays you know i i have an online studio mm. i i i have my regulars i have and obviously i sing all around the world so i have an online floating schedule and whenever i can wherever i am in the world whenever i can i'll just put up times when i can i can work and my and students will just book in in their yeah, time perfect. zone and 
and it's it's brilliant and and I think that's what I have the pandemic to thank for mm. because that's given me that facility and I love teaching like it is something that I feel very strongly about so I have as well as regulars I have you know young singers who come in and they'll say can I I'm doing a role that was yours or you, that you've done or yeah. or they'll be like can I just get some advice or I'm working towards a competition or whatever and so all those things are I I I, I love giving back as well so for me you know it's important and I, and I like doing it because I'm still so involved in in the industry too and I'm always happy to give advice and I've got a young artist that I'm working with at the moment and you know she wants to go to America so all my American contacts are coming in handy and we're chatting and I'm able to you know all those things all those things are important you know yeah no that's brilliant all right, I will let you go very soon, but I have two more questions for you. The first one You've just is, raised your eyebrows. I'm a bit concerned. <laughs> well, it's just because I raise my eyebrows because this is my least and most favorite question because it's my least and most favorite thing in the whole world. Social media. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about social media? What place does it have in the life of a singer? Uh, it depends on who you ask, I guess, is, uh-huh. is the best question. I really love social media. I think okay. it's done, cool. I think it's done some great things for our industry. Um, and I think that is led at the forefront by certain individuals who are very open and create a very real persona. People like Jamie Barton, people like Christine mm. Gerke, people mm. like, you know, um, Natrepko to a point too, you know, mm. like people like this who have their own distinct personalities that get heightened by their social media in some way or another. I remember when, when I was first in England and someone said to me, you know, Helena, your personality doesn't match your voice. And I said, (laughs) I'm not sure what that means. And uh, the person giving me the advice said, yeah, but you know, you, you go in singing this great queen repertoire, this like, you know, divery repertoire. Mm. And then you were like, hi, I'm Helena and I'm really friendly. And I was like, <laughs> excuse me, that's like part of who I am. And, and, and it really confused me at the time. He said, when you go to audition, you have to be more aloof and you have to mm. present in a more, and I, at the time I just went, you know what? Nah, yeah. but, but, uh, I, I did think about it. I reflected on it. I tried it at an audition and I just ended up laughing myself out of the room because I was like, this is ridiculous. I also said to him, I said, well, I somewhat disagree with you because a company, okay, they're going to want to hire me for, for my voice and stuff, but they've got to have an idea of what what I am, who I am, because yeah. I'm gonna be, they're going to be stuck with me for, you know, for however long, you know, while they're working with me. And if they love me, they, they love me. And if they don't, they don't. But that's who I am and that's, you know, I'm never going to pretend to be anything else. So I think social mm. media is great for that, for being able to express your individuality. And I think I also think it, it it's brought more people into to watching opera because I think for me mm-hmm. people talk about the golden age and, all these great singers gone and how those singers aren't here anymore and all that kind of thing. Well, I think in a way, you know, people like Pavarotti were presented to regular people on a, on a, on a, on a regular. So in a way that doesn't happen anymore. Like opera companies don't promote people. They don't promote like Pavarotti was promoted everywhere on mainstream television on, you know, so an average Joe would be like, Oh, opera singer Pavarotti right Mm. now you say opera singer and I won't tell you the names of the people that people would say to me if they if they didn't know anything about opera because they offend me greatly when they when they see this sure I can guess (laughs) and they'll go oh you're an opera singer do you know blah blah I'm like please don't don't even I don't even want to talk to you anymore um (laughs) but you know people would know who Pavarotti because he was put in front of them and I think I think social media has taken that 
step of of the opera companies putting people forward or in 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 the social eye to now us putting ourselves forward in the social eye or a publicist you know a lot of my american uh friends have publicists that work on their social media and um you know i don't necessarily agree or disagree with that it's not my thing i even if even if I was like the, you know, the the at the top of the golden pyramid, I'd still love to do my own. Mm. So having said that, I have to say that when this stuff happened to me at the Met, I actually felt very overwhelmed by social media yeah. at that time. No uh, very overwhelmed, like to a point of explosion almost like it was like I really I actually ended up just turning my phone my tablet off but that's okay because you can turn it off and then when you're ready for it again you can come back on and that's your power and and you that's your choice of 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 and I think that's great you can have a choice whether you whether you indulge yourself in that or not but I love it because it, it allows me to express myself and I think it's a really lovely I love getting to know singers behind voices I love you know mm. all that kind of thing and I know some singers are really great at it and other singers are not so great at it and mm. I really admire and appreciate the ones who are open and talk about stuff and you know that's why J- Jamie for instance Jamie Barton go back to her again but um we've become really good friends but before we were friends I was a huge fangirl of hers and mm. would look at her social media and the way that she spoke about things that were important to her and the way that she would use that platform to to you know to get people to the opera or use that platform mm-hmm. to to talk about things on a more personal basis and I love that I love I loved that interaction with the world because in a world where big brother became such a big thing and this reality yeah. tv became such a big thing and at the time I'm like oh my god like kill me now like this is this is life now like these these people are famous for being in their pajamas in a in yeah. a in a in a televised room and and eating ice cream out of their nose or something like what <laughs> uh so for what me like a platform for people who I admire and for people who are you know doing great things and 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 uh, I just I love following that success I know a lot of colleagues say oh I hate it because they show off and they they're always like oh I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm like well I don't I love it I I think it's Mm. great because I'm I'm bloody I'm delighted that people have come back after COVID especially and kicking ass and working and even like Australian singers there's something about being an Australian that sits in your belly and goes like I see Australian singers who are successful and doing great things and it makes me so proud like I actually Mm. feel really excited for them you know it's like being part of a big ass sporting team or something that you know you don't even I just I get so excited and I'm like you know what because I know firsthand how far we are from the world and I know firsthand how much sacrifice it takes not that it doesn't take others of course but you know, and I just, there's something in me that goes, good, good for you. And I, I'll i often reach out to singers that I don't know. And I re- reached out to one the other day and congratulated her on something. And she's like, oh, my God, Helena Dix just sent me a, a, a Twitter <laughs> message. She's like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, come on now. You know, like we're yeah. all human. But I think it humanises and, and some people would disagree. Like some people would say oh, that's not good for opera. You know, you need to put the divas up on the pedestal and you need to, you know, all this kind of – and I'm like, well, no, I, I don't agree. I think the mm. human element – it is more attractive on so many different in so many different levels you know and and that's great that's brilliant thank you no that's great it's, everyone has a very unique opinion on that question sure. which is why i love asking it it's great all right final question what is the best or worst or both if you like piece of advice you've ever been given 
I think I think the the worst is probably what I said before about about going to an audition and and not being yourself and and mm. masking it and and trying to be who you are in your fach or who you are as as a singer and like so I I'm like okay so I should go in and be a pretentious queen or something because that's mm. I, I play a lot of them you know uh, I think that's probably the worst advice I got mm. or not the worst but certainly some of the most silly advice that I've mm. I've been given. Uh, as for the best advice, gosh, there's been so much of it, I guess. Um, <laughs> Go sing at the Met. Go <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I remember when I was making my Met debut, I said to a great friend and colleague of mine, I said, oh, I'm so nervous. Like what, what, what do I do to focus? And she's like, just imagine like she's like, what's a place in Australia that's like out in the back of nowhere? And I said, well, colloquially we would say like Timbuktu or something like that. We'd say like out in Timbuktu. She's like, right, so when you're in your dressing room, don't like in your headspace, don't think I'm about to sing at the match. You think, oh, it's just I'm just at Timbuktu and I'm just about <laughs> to go in, go and sing for the, the locals at, at the yeah. at the retirement home or something in Timbuktu. Yeah. And she said, and I said, well, that's easier said than done. She said, I know, but she said, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter where you are. It doesn't matter that you're at the Met. It doesn't matter if you're in a small house in Germany. It doesn't matter if you're in the back of nowhere. The fact is that you're doing your job that you love and you do it bloody well and you've you've worked hard for it. So just get out there and enjoy it and, and have a good time and immerse yourself in the moment, in the drama, in the stage. Don't look out at the auditorium. Don't second guess anything. Just be a part of the storytelling like so, so much so that you get to the end of the show and that you go, oh, I don't know what happened. I'm not sure mm. what, ha- I, I'm not sure what happened. Just And she said, she said to me, that's the best kind of show that you can do, that you get to the end and you're like, huh, that was the show. And I'm not exactly sure how she said, because that means you were so immersed in what you were doing mm. that you didn't have time to doubt or to question or to get, you know, obviously you have butterflies, but once you get out there, she said, really rely on your colleagues to to bring you into that story with them and, and and be immersed so much that it doesn't matter where in the world you are you're just singing that opera at that time with those people and that you just enjoy it and I was like you know what that's right and I remember being like oh, I'm about to go and then I was like no you know what I'm not even thinking about what who what I'm going on for and Falstaff is such a great opera anyway to make a debut in and I just remember they're like okay mystics on we go and boom 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 curtain up boom. and then the next thing I know it was over and I was like, well, that was like the best fun in the world. Yeah. And, uh, but I've got no idea what happened. So I'm hoping it was all right, you know, but yeah. they're the best I kind of shows. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah yeah. 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 I think that's, that's, that's the best advice I've been given. Brilliant. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the young singers listening or the opera fans listening? <laughs> Not really. Just, you know, so many times in the last years, people like opera's dying, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's no longer relevant and we've got to keep making opera relevant. And I just think that's utter crap. Quite mm-hmm. frankly, Thank opera you. survived Agreed. so many years. You don't need to change it. Don't, don't fix what ain't broken as far as I'm concerned. And uh, mm-hmm. obviously new and exciting challenges and, and, and creations and stuff. Fantastic. But It'll always be here. It'll always be around because the beauty and the excitement of the human voice and what it can do at its at its finest, which is what we do, is that you can't you can't take that away from anyone. And you can't nothing, no matter how society changes, live music and live singing and opera and the, the sound and the experience of itself, that doesn't change 
how people feel, even on these stupid, you know, talent shows where people hear opera singers and they're like, whoa, you know, it's like everyone makes jokes. Oh, it's on the high notes. I'm like, yeah, because there's something incredible about it. You can't put your finger on it. So for everyone who thinks, oh, it's dying or the art form's going, or I say up your bum, no way. Uh, it's absolutely not. We're here to stay and, you know, and it is harder than ever now. It is harder than ever now to have a career. It really mm. is. It's it's a really tough place to be. Mm. But you know what? If it's in your heart and if it's, you know, if it's in your soul and if you've worked all your life to do it and then just don't, don't give, don't give that up. You know, it's, it's discipline is, is uh, not something that the, the young generation like particularly, but um, it's a good thing to, to stand by and to have mm. that patience and that discipline to mm. carry on no matter what. I mean, I have grafted and worked and had other jobs and worked my way through and then things like what happened to me a couple of months ago happen. And actually mm. people say, is it worth it? Is it worth all the torment? Is it worth all? I'm like, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell to the yes, because mm-hmm. in my heart, I absolutely love what I do. And if you don't, then don't do it. But if you do, then don't ever give up. That's what I say. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Helena Dix. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to So You Think You Can Belto. We thank the artists who have donated their time to make this information available to our audience. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform and follow us on social media. Our handles and links are in the episode description. If you have a topic you'd like covered, a question you'd like answered, or you'd like to recommend a guest, please get in touch with us at soyouthinkyoucanbelto at gmail.com. You can also support us with a little donation which will go towards thanking our interviewed artists. Ciao a tutti! Ciao!